Chapter Twenty Three of The Protector by Harold Bindloss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Protector by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Twenty Three. Vane proves obdurate. Vane spent two or three weeks very pleasantly in Vancouver, for Evelyn, of whom he saw a good deal, was gracious to him. The embarrassment both had felt on their first meeting in the western city had speedily vanished. They had resumed their acquaintance on what was ostensibly a purely friendly footing, and since both avoided any reference to what had taken place in England, it had ripened into a mutual confidence. This would have been less probable in the older country, where they would have been continually reminded of what the Chisholm family had expected of them. But the past seldom counts for much in the new and changeful West, whose inhabitants look forward to the future. Indeed, there is something in its atmosphere which banishes regret and retrospection, and when Evelyn looked back at all, she felt inclined to wonder why she had once been so troubled by the man's satisfaction with her company. She decided that this could not have been the result of any aversion from him, and that it was merely an instinctive revolt against the part her parents had wished to force upon her. Chisholm and his wife had blundered as such people often do, for it is possible that had they adopted a perfectly neutral attitude, everything would have gone as they desired. Their mistake was nevertheless a natural one. Somewhat exaggerated reports of Vane's prosperity had reached them, but while they coveted the advantages his wealth might offer their daughter, in their secret hearts they looked upon him as something of a barbarian, which idea the opinions he occasionally expressed in their hearing did not dispel. Both feared that Evelyn regarded him in the same light, and it accordingly became evident that a little pressure might be required. In spite of their prejudices, they did not shrink from applying it. In the meanwhile, several people in Vancouver watched the increase of friendliness between the girl and Vane. Mrs. Nairn and her husband did so with benevolent interest, and it was by the former's adroit management, which Evelyn did not often suspect, that they were thrown more and more into each other's company. Jessie Horsfield, however, looked on with bitterness. She was a strong-willed young woman who had hitherto generally contrived to obtain what she had set her heart upon, and she had set it upon this man. Indeed, she had fancied that he returned the feeling, but disillusionment had come on the evening when he had unexpectedly met Evelyn. Her resentment against the girl grew steadily stronger, until it threatened to prove dangerous on opportunity. There were, however, days when Vane was disturbed in mind. Winter was coming on, and although it is rarely severe on the southern seaboard, it is by no means the season one would choose for an adventure among the ranges of the northern wilderness. Unless he made his search for the spruce very shortly, he might be compelled to postpone it until the spring, at the risk of being forestalled. But there were two reasons which detained him. He thought he was gaining ground in Evelyn's esteem, and he feared the effect of absence. 
while there was no doubt that the new issue of the Claremont shares was in very slack demand. To leave the city might cost him a good deal, but he had pledged himself to go. The latter fact was uppermost in his mind one evening when he set off to call upon Celia Hartley, and, as it happened, Evelyn and Mrs. Nairn were driving past as he turned off from a busy street towards the quarter in which she lived. It had been dark some little time, but Evelyn had no difficulty in recognizing him. Indeed, she watched him for a few moments while he passed on into a more shadowy region where the gloom and dilapidation of the first small frame houses were noticeable, and she wondered what kind of people inhabited it. She did not think Mrs. Nairn had noticed Vane. "'You have never taken me into the district on our left,' she said. "'I'm not likely to,' was the answer. "'We're not proud of it.' "'I suppose the Chinese and other aliens live there?' Evelyn suggested. "'They do,' said Mrs. Nairn, with some dryness. "'I'm not sure, however, that they're the worst.' but one understands that you haven't a criminal population. We have folks who are on the fringe of it, only we see they live altogether. People who would be respectable live somewhere else, except a few who have to consider cheapness, but it's not a recommendation to be seen going into yon quarter after dark. This left Evelyn thoughtful, since she had undoubtedly seen Vane going there. She considered herself a judge of character, and generally trusted her intuitions, and she believed the man's visit to the neighborhood in question admitted of some satisfactory explanation. On the other hand, she felt that her friend should be beyond suspicion. Taking it all round, she was rather vexed with Vane, and it cost her some trouble to drive the matter out of her mind, though she succeeded in doing so. She did not see Vane next day, but the latter called upon Nairn at his office during the afternoon. "'Have you had any more applications for the new stock?' he asked. "'I have not,' said Nairn. "'Neither Bendel nor Howiston has paid up yet.' "'Investors are shy, that's a fact,' Vane confessed. "'It's unfortunate.' I've already put off my trip north as long as possible. I wanted to see things on a satisfactory basis before I went. A prudent wish. I would advise you to carry it out. What do you mean by that? Something like this. If the money's not forthcoming, we may be compelled to fall back upon a different plan. And, unless you're to the fore, the decision of a shareholders' meeting might not suit you. Considering the position and the stock you hold, any views you might express would carry mere weight than mine could do in your absence. Vane drummed with his fingers on the table. I suppose that's the case, but I've got to make the journey. With moderately good fortune, it shouldn't take me long. "'You would be running some risk if anything delayed you, and we had to call a meeting before you got back.' "'I see that, but it can't be helped. I expect to be back before I'm wanted. 
Anyway, I could leave you authority to act on my behalf. After a further attempt to dissuade him, Nairn spread out one hand resignedly. He who will be Coopermon be left to gang, he said. Whiles I have wondered why any one should be so keen on getting there, but doubtless a due Scottish town has mere attractions for a sensible person than the rugged northwest in winter time. Vane, who smiled at this, went out and left him, and when he reached home, Nairn briefly recounted the interview to his wife over his evening meal. Evelyn, who was with them, listened attentively. "'Yon man will not hear reason,' Nairn concluded. "'He's thrawn.' Evelyn had already noticed that her host, for whom she had a strong liking, spoke broader Scots when he was either amused or angry, and she supposed that Vane's determination disturbed him. "'But why should he persist in leaving the city when it's to his advantage to do so, as you lead one to believe it is?' she asked. "'If the latter's not absolutely certain, it's very likely,' Nairn informed her. "'You have only answered half my question,' Evelyn pointed out. Mrs. Nairn smiled. "'Alec,' she said, "'is reserved by nature, but if you're anxious for an answer, I might tell you.' "'Anxious hardly describes it,' Evelyn replied. "'Then we'll say curious. The fact is, Vane made a bargain with a sick prospector, in which he undertook to locate some timber the man had discovered away among the mountains. He was to pay the other a share of its value when he got his government license. "'Is the timber very valuable?' "'No,' broke in Nairn. "'One might make a fair business profit out of pulping it, though the thing's far from certain.' "'Then why is Mr. Vane so keen on finding it?' The question gave Mrs. Nairn a lead, but she decided to say no more than was necessary. The prospector died, but that bound the bargain tighter in Vane's opinion. The man died without a dollar, leaving a daughter worn out and ill with nursing him. According to the arrangement, his share will go to the girl. Then, said Evelyn, Mr. Vane is really undertaking the search in order to keep his promise to a man who is dead, and he will not even postpone it, because if he did so, this penniless girl might, perhaps, lose her share? Isn't that rather fine of him? On the whole, you understand the position, Nairn agreed. If you desire my view of the matter, I would merely say that yon's the kind of man he is. Evelyn made no further comment, though the last common phrase struck her as a most eloquent tribute. She had heard Vane confess that he did not want to go north at present, and she now understood that to do so might jeopardize his interests in the mine. But he was undoubtedly going. He meant to keep his promise. This was what one would expect of him. As it happened, he took her for a drive among the Stanley Pines one mild afternoon a few days later, and though she knew she would regret his departure, she was unusually friendly. Vane rejoiced at it, 
but he had already decided that he must endeavor to proceed with caution and content himself in the meanwhile with the part of trusted companion. For this reason he chatted lightly, which he felt was safer, during most of the drive, but he once or twice responded without reserve when, by chance or design, she asked a leading question. "'I wonder if you ever feel any regret at having left England for this country,' she said. "'I did so pretty often when I first came out,' he answered. "'In those days I had to work in icy water and carry massive lumps of rock. "'I dare say regret was a very natural feeling then. "'But that wasn't quite what I meant.' "'So I supposed,' Vane confessed. "'Well, I'd better own that when I spent a week or two in England, at the Dean, I began to think I missed a good deal by not staying at home. It struck me that the life you led had a singular charm. Everything went so smoothly there among the sheltering hills. One felt that care and anxiety could not creep in. Somehow the place reminded me of Avalon. The impression was by no means correct, said Evelyn, but I don't think you have finished. Won't you go on? then if i get out of my depth you mustn't blame me by and by i discovered that charm wasn't the right word the place was permeated with a narcotic spell narcotic said evelyn do you think the term's more appropriate i do vane declared narcotics one understands are insidious things if you take them regularly, in small doses, they increase their hold on you until you become wrapped up in dreams and unrealities. If, however, you get too big a dose at the beginning, it leads to a vigorous revulsion. It's nature's warning and remedy. "'You're not flattering,' said Evelyn, "'but I almost fancy you are right.' We are told that man was made to struggle, to use all his powers. If he rests too long beside the still backwaters of life in fairy-like dales, they're apt to atrophy, and he finds himself slack and nerveless when he goes out to face the world again. Evelyn nodded, for she had felt and striven against the insidious influence he spoke of. She had now and then left the drowsy dale for a while but the life she had then caught glimpses of was equally sheltered one possibly only to the favored few even the echoes of the real tent struggles seldom passed its boundaries but you confessed not long ago that you loved the western wilderness she said you have spent a good deal of time in it you expect to do so again after all isn't that only exchanging one beautiful, tranquil region for another? The bush must be even quieter than the English dales. I expect I haven't made the point quite clear. When one goes up into the bush, it's not to lounge and dream there, but to make war upon it with the axe and drill. He pulled up his team and pointed to a clump of giant trees. Look here. That's nature's challenge to man in this country. 
Evelyn confessed that it was a very impressive one. The great trunks ran up far aloft, tremendous columns, before their higher portions were lost in the vaulted roof of somber greenery. They dwarfed the rig and team. She felt herself a pygmy by comparison. "'They're rather bigger than the average,' her companion resumed. "'Still, that's the kind of thing you run up against when you buy land to make a ranch of or clear the ground for a mine. Chopping, sawing up, splitting those giants doesn't fill one with languorous dreams. The only ones our axemen indulge in materialize. It's a bracing struggle.' There are leagues and leagues of trees shrouding the valleys in a shadow that has lasted since the world was young. But you see the dawn of a wonderful future breaking in as the long ranks go down. Once more, without clearly intending it, he had stirred the girl. He had not spoken in that rather fanciful style to impress her. She thought he had, trusting in her comprehension, merely given his ideas free rein, But in doing so, he had somehow made her hear the clear trumpet call to action, which, for some men, rings through the roar of the river and the song of the tall black pines. "'Ah,' she said, "'I dare say it's a fine life in many ways, but it must have its drawbacks. The flesh must shrink from them.' the flesh he said and laughed in this land it takes second place except perhaps in the cities then he turned and looked at her curiously why should you talk of shrinking the bush couldn't daunt you you have courage the girl's eyes sparkled but it was not at the compliment his words rang with freedom the freedom of the heights where heroic effort was the rule in place of luxury. She longed now, as she had often done, to escape from bondage, to break away. "'Ah, well,' she said half wistfully, "'I expect it's fortunate that such courage as I have may never be put to the test.' Though reticence was difficult, Vane made no comment. He had spoken unguardedly already, and he had decided that caution was desirable. As it happened, an automobile came up when he restarted his team, and he looked round as he drove on again. "'It's curious that I never heard the thing,' he said. "'I didn't either,' said Evelyn, and added, as if any explanation were needed, "'I was too engrossed in the trees.' but I think Miss Horsfield was in it. "'Was she?' said Vane in a very casual manner, and Evelyn, for no reason that she was willing to admit, was pleased. She had not been mistaken. Jessie Horsfield was in the automobile, and she had had a few moments in which to study Vane and his companion. The man's look and the girl's expression had struck her as significant and her lips set ominously tight as the car sped on. She felt she almost hated Vane, and there was no doubt that she entirely hated the girl at his side. End of chapter 23
recording by roger Moline.